wasn't up back on the street. Did my time, took my chances. Get out of here. Yeah. Welcome to Dragon's Chest, a podcast brought to you by Dak Factories. With me today, I have Marshall Fleming. Fourth place, baby. Nick Intrieri. Harp, baby. Bill Martin. I'm going to go with something else other than the baby. What's up, guys? <laughs> and I am your host, Leon McCutton. Uh, we are here recording after a pretty good four-game stretch, uh, ending with the most recent game against JMU. Uh, we did great from a record standpoint, but uh, it seems to have come at cost of a couple of injuries. The most recent one being... Uh, potentially to Alejandro, he kind of fell down, but I think hopefully it's just a bruised tailbone and he's back. But he looked pretty dejected at the end of that JMU game, sitting there on the bike. So hopefully it's not more than that. But we also might have lost Kirk for we don't know how long yet. But so let's start with some positives, I guess. What, this four-game stretch, we're fourth in the CAA. Uh, we can almost see not playing in, not playing the Saturday game. What do you guys think so far about? Uh, our performance in this four-game stretch. Maybe we'll start with you, Bill. Um, I like what I see for the most part. I mean, Spiker seems like he's mixing up the defenses a little bit. I know he keeps talking about playing man, but we don't seem like we can play man very well at all. So him mixing up the zone defenses seems to be having a little bit more effect. Um, and I think like numerous people have already said this, has been talked about on the Slack channel and everything, but our defense doesn't need to be great. It just has to be like mediocre. That's, that's all it really needs to be because the offense is pretty good. Uh, even despite that we keep losing people, somehow we keep scoring points. So that's pretty impressive. So that's what I like so far. The only thing, the only really thing I don't like is so we go on these long droughts of scoring and mental lapses, but the droughts of scoring are what really has been killing us. I think we've been down in almost, what is it, Nick, the last four games, I think you were saying? All right. four conference wins. All four conference wins. We were like down by double, double digits, I think. So um, we need to avoid slow starts and long scoring droughts. Now, with this JMU game, I showed up a little late where we were we had nine points on the board and they had over 20. Uh, was it a drought or was it they were just actually hitting their shots? Because it didn't seem like after that, it seemed like they couldn't get a shot up uh, without us pretty much, you know, playing some pretty good stifling D. I mean, I I think they, they were hitting shots, but we couldn't hit anything. I mean, Butler missed a couple layups or most of our points, if not, I think all but two of them in that nine points that we had when you came in, Leon, were on free throws. So we just weren't able to do anything offensively for a while. We weren't shooting well, reminiscent of the William & Mary game at the beginning of that James Madison game. To be honest, we didn't shoot well from three uh, for the whole game and still won, which is encouraging. I think our defense early in JMU was too soft. We allowed Mosley, who is by far their best player, to just sit out the three-point line, and he drilled three threes pretty much right in a row. We did make that adjustment, to Spiker's credit. Uh, I don't understand why we just can't come out with that mentality for whatever reason. It's not like it's a secret that this guy's their best player. He was the best player last year. Uh, he's our best player again this year. This other guy, Lewis, is the guy that drives. Uh, he's They have two guards that are good, and that's what they do. And then we made the adjustment in the second half. And we played like a kind of an interesting zone. We mixed up the zone looks. And I think we were playing like a um, you know, two three and a three two and we were covering the shooters aggressively. We were giving them some space to underneath. Um and if they had a real good big guy, I think we might have been in some trouble. Um, but their big guy couldn't hit any free throws, which was great. Uh and uh and it was effective. 
Um, I agree with Bill. I think, um, you know, it seems like maybe that's the formula for this team is the, the various zones. I think some of our players are uh, play better in the zone. Uh, I think Doles has had, had two good games uh, in the last couple games, you know, from a defensive standpoint. Um, he's been really good. He was offensively very good against Townsend. And he's definitely the kind of guy that on a man-to-man defense has the trouble. You know, he's too too long for a guard, but too too skinny to be a true big man. So, but on the zone, it's different. He can, he's got the long arms. He can play on the outskirts of the zone and I think be effective. So maybe that's something we'll see going forward. Yeah, I was looking at the box score over here. James Butler had 16 rebounds. I know that Phillips guy was a bum, but he's definitely taller than Butler. And that's after, I think, Marshall, you and I were kind of upset at one point when Butler didn't go for the board and kind of waited for the ball to come to him. And we were kind of losing our mind. But I, I can't believe he out-rebounded this Phillips guy 16-6. to six. Yeah, I, uh, I'm very surprised at that number, too. Uh, there were definitely some, some soft rebounds uh, that he was fortunate to get. A couple others that he lost as a result of not ball, but... You can't deny 16 rebounds in a Division One game is a is a solid number, so can't really complain there. And between him and Alion, we were actually a pretty decent rebounding team. I thought that was going to be a weakness coming in, but um, those guys have been keeping us in pretty good shape. I think we're a pretty good de- uh, rebounding team against, like, as long as the other team doesn't have, like, a legit big guy. I think we get owned when they actually do have a legit big guy, though, like Kaycock. Don't we? No, I think we beat Wilmington on the board. I mean, I don't even know about the look, but the only team that we got smoked on the boards, to my recollection, is Rutgers. I mean, I can look at the box score this uh, UNC Wilmington game real quick. I think we did out rebound them. Yeah, we. Yeah, Kaycock didn't really have a good game, if I remember. They, for UNC, I mean, they, they actually out rebound us by seven. So, I mean, you're right on that. Kaycock had a great game against us. What are you talking about? He came out the second half and he was unstoppable. Oh, I'm thinking, um, what's his face from Charleston? Brant- Brantley. Brantley sucked against Brantley. us. Brantley, yeah. I really want to do a podcast right at the end of that Charleston game because I was so fired up. And unfortunately, we couldn't get it going. All yeah. right. You want, you want me to cue it? Like, pretend like it's uh, the end of the Charleston game? I can't <laughs> pretend. You know, it's like <laughs> you can't recreate gone. the magic. The magic comes, and you either appreciate the magic or you lose the magic. But, you know. And by so- magic, we mean. Uh, <laughs> Let's just let's just call about magic when magic was. Troy Harper throwing up the ball, and uh, not even the announcers realizing that he was going to go up for three shots to win the game. Hey, what a bag of homers those guys are! <laughs> like they're sitting around. I was asking the question on the Slack channel. I was asked texting you guys. I was like, "Is he three, three or two? Three shots or two shots? Three? And I think Dan Crane on the Slack message said it before, like a full minute before the the dumb announcers realized he's shooting three shots. And then they were like reacted like it was like the biggest travesty in the world. Like he got called for a shooting foul, which if I you mean, look at the replay. I mean, it, it looked like he was. It was a very head head smart play by Troy Harper. And in their in their defense, though, Nick, if that had happened to us, I would be oh infuriated. Of course we would. <laughs> of course, we would. but you can't deny it wasn't a foul. It was a clear no, it was foul. It was definitely a foul. Just that late in the game, like I yeah, I've so seen bad. those be no calls before for sure. But yeah. I yeah, would, but after that William and Mary game where we couldn't buy a bucket and it seemed like and after everything was going against us uh, at home, um, that road Charleston game really, I think, put some wind behind, uh, you know, underneath our wings for this three wins in a four-game stretch thing. I, I, I was hoping we'd 
win that game at UNCW because I hate losing to them uh, year after year. I don't think we beat them at all last year. Uh, but at least we won the two home games we needed to against two bum teams, uh, Townsend and Jane. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the Wilmington game was definitely disappointing. I was hoping we'd relay that, uh, the excitement of Charleston to that. But, you know, we followed up with two wins after that. So it's not... Uh, I mean, really... Wilmington shot... I don't think Wilmington's as bad as you guys think they are. I, I, I don't know. I think they, they have some guys that can shoot on Wilmington. And they're continuing to shoot since they played us. They, we played pretty decent against Wilmington. And they just wouldn't miss from three. They hit Gadsden went four or five, Cilia two or four, Estimi three or six. And then that guy Gadsden leads the league in three point percentage. He's shooting over 50% from three. Uh, um, actually, the only the only real difference in that game other than the rebounding was the free throws. Like, <laughs> Oh, oh, really, Bill? Uh, Marshall, amount of free throws shot here. I mean, I know you're always putting us the free throws, but I, when one team gets like 28 and we shot 10, uh, that's the difference. That's the difference of the game. We still that's shot ninety percent. We did shoot ninety percent, but only nine of them to their twenty-four. So that's pretty much it. And Kaycock at ten of thirteen. I mean, he was a he was really the we- reason we. That guy gets that every game. call. I, I swear. Sometimes I see him fouling blatantly, and he doesn't get called. Somehow the other player gets fouled. Not that he's not a great player. I'm not going to deny that Kaycock uh, isn't one of the better big men in the league, but he does uh, get away with quite a bit. He, he's playing at bruiser rules still. Yeah. He play he plays bruiser rules. Bruiser love that guy, but you should. They're you know if you elbow and push the guy out of the way with your elbow, it's supposed to be called a foul. You know those are some of the fouls that sometimes we react to. Like where was the foul there? What is that? Blah blah blah. He's getting away with that shit. Yeah, and that's the reason why sometimes you got to call those things. And us fans are like, well, what happened there? And if you only watch the replay, you see it. But he, that's what he does. And hopefully when they're in the, at the DAC. We will let the referees know that that but I'm sure I, I'm going to from from the tip from the moment we tip off. I'm going to let the referee know. But that he does do that. He he seems to not only get away with it, Nick, but then he gets like fouls called on him when someone tries to retaliate with the same moves, which I don't really understand how that works. But um, no. he does he did get a crap load of calls. I guess he gets a lot of respect in the CAA referee from the CAA referee somehow. I don't understand yeah. why. I will be glad he's gone. <laughs> But it was nice to at least have Kirk Lee back that game. He almost dropped 20 points, and he had 19 at the end of the game against UNCW. But uh, unfortunately, he seems to have it re-injured that shoulder. I think, was that on a screen that he got? Yeah. yeah. Oh, man, that's the worst. It was, it was like it was like a blindside screen that he just, no one, I don't know if any, no one called it out, but he just hit it like it was a rock wall and <laughs> fell right over. Yeah, right at half court. Unfortunately, yeah. it's like that's the worst thing you can hit when you're, a shoulder injury. That's where you get screened at. Yeah. Uh, that was disappointing. But I don't think there's any news on when he's coming back. Seems to be, be with injuries. It seems this year we playing, we're playing very coy. Like we don't even know what's going on with Tim Perry. And he hasn't been playing. I don't think he played a single game. This four game stretch. Did he? Nope. So, so it's, uh, I think Bruce is playing, uh, I guess not very forthcoming with the injury updates over here. So who knows when Tim Perry is going to be back and Kirk Lee's going to get back. Hopefully, at least Alhan's just just a bruise, and he's back next game against Delaware on Sunday. But we are fourth in the league. I, I think uh, Scott from Always the Dragon mentioned how this has been. What was last time you were fourth in the league or had four wins? Maybe this early in the in CAA play was going back two thousand. Was it two thousand eleven, two thousand twelve? He said, and 
what do you guys think? How do how real do you guys think this fourth seed is right now? Well, I think you can't discount that we are currently in fourth. By the time we play our game Saturday, we might be lower because we don't play a Thursday game this week and some other CAA teams do. So there could be some jostling there. Uh, I think the the question is, how real is Delaware? I think they have been a bit of a surprise with their record considering how lackluster their out-of-conference was. So have they been lucky to snake some wins like Northeastern and uh, I forget who their other – did they go – they went 2-0 and oh against Charleston and UNCW when we went 1-1, one and one, I think, right? Was that last year? Or? Last week, yeah. Well, either way, they're 5-2 they're and two, or 5-3 and three now. We're 4-4. Four and four. So we can take over them in the standings at least, which obviously besides them just being Delaware is good for our goal of missing the play-in game. I, I, I think the four and four is real. The the team obviously buys in to playing for Spiker. I just don't know if it's a defensive scheming thing, if it's a personnel thing that we're slacking on defense, but despite getting down early, we seem to battle our way back into into these games, uh, to the tune of this five hundred record. So I'll say the four and four is legit. What's the saying? You are what your record says you are. Yeah, I think so. But uh, so we have, I think we, again, we played Charleston at Charleston. We played um, Northeastern at Northeastern. So we, you know, some of these, uh, you know, we have a win against Charleston, but Northeastern, that loss, you know, 10 point loss was, uh, I think, understand. And we played Hofstra at Hofstra. So I think our second half stretch over here, which I think the Delaware game will be our ninth game of uh, the 18 CAA games we play. Uh, our second half looks like we, you know, we should be able to do all right. I know the couple, we have a couple of road games against Jamie and Townsend, which are beatable teams. So I'm a little more confident in that and getting some of those tougher teams at home. I'm hoping we can finish strong here. What do you think, uh, Nick? Uh, I think these next four games are going to be real telling. We haven't been a good road team so far this year outside of the Charleston win. Um, we've pretty much – we have one other road win, and that's at LaSalle. Uh, the rest of our road games we've lost. Um you know, I, I think that we have three winnable games coming up against teams that look to be in the middle or bottom of the pack. Uh, you know, Women and Mary hasn't been too good at home this year. I think they're better on the road. Um, I would really like to get two out of three of these games. If we get two out of three, I think we're in really good shape. Um, if we get one out of three, we're going to have to have a strong finish. Um, if we get zero out of three, which I think any one of these scenarios is possible, um, we're going to be scraping back towards the, the bubble on the playing game. Um, so we have to come to play on the road. Um, I think Delaware, you know, they, they want some close game. Uh, and then they just lost to Townsend in a close game. So, I mean, and let's be real. Like, we beat Charleston, but we snaked that game. They kind of blew it, uh, and we took advantage. Specifically, of Brantley blew it. <laughs> Brantley blew it big time. Uh, he had a number of errors right at the end of the game, missed free throws uh, to Marshall's point. And um, we just – that we, it was a definition of a snake. We had no business winning that game, and we just right at the end just pulled it out. Um, so, um, you know, we didn't beat UNC Wilmington. I think they shot the lights out. And we won two home games we should win. Both those games we looked bad at stretches. So I'm trying to try and stay even keeled here, you know, looking at uh, usually I'm a half full kind of guy, but a half empty kind of guy could say, you know, we could have went 0-4 in this last stretch. 
Um, you know, we kind of pulled off victories against teams. If a good like Hofstra would blow those guys out at home, I would imagine. So uh, we got our work cut out for us. It's no doubt we're not going to go into Delaware and you know I, I have no sense that we're going to go in and blow them out or any of these teams. Even Elon, we had to come back in the second half. So um, it's it's we're going to have to fight hard and and um, hopefully we we have enough health and we can. Um, some some players have been stepping up. I think Harp. We've talked about Harp a number of times. He's really playing. Um, he's been our force on offense. Um, we got to keep the rebounding going, and the, and the defense um, has to stay consistent, at least mediocre, as Bill said. It's interesting. I look at these conference stats. We are second in scoring offense under Hofstra, and second to last in scoring defense. Um, we can score the ball, but we can't stop people. Uh, UNCW's last, and I think we were last up until the last two games. Uh, so we just went ahead at UNCW. But William and Mary has a better defense than us. I mean, I, uh, we uh, we should be ahead. Of, so Elon has a better defense than us. We should be ahead of at least those two. Well, hopefully the the switch to just zone defense will help keep that improvement. It's, it's hard to tell like if the defense was that much better the last two games, or if it's just because we were playing, you know, Townsend and JMU. Um, but I, I I think to like. Build on what you guys said, like our goal of keeping on the playing game, really, I think is definitely attainable. We should finish ahead of three guaranteed almost Elon, um, JMU, and Townsend. And we really need to sweep those guys, I think, too, in order to keep them towards the bottom and then just pass into one other team. I'm not sure who that'll be yet, but it uh, could be William Mary and UNCW, or who knows what Delaware is going to do for the rest of the season. So hopefully, we should achieve that goal um, and then I'll not have to play on Saturday. So the going into the Delaware game, I guess. What do you like? Do you, assuming Alahan's back, Kirk's still out. What do you think? Some of the biggest things we have to. I mean, you mentioned the defense, which I guess will it'll be a good test for the defense against Delaware, who's five and two in the league uh, in this in the CAA. How legit of our defense is, but what I one thing I did like notice yesterday was Coach Spiker is definitely getting a lot more fired up on the sideline. I don't know if you guys noticed that. Like I think last year at times we would. Uh, he would kind of uh, be a little dis- disappointed that he was still, you know, just more seemed more encouraging most of the time out there. And we were used to the exact opposite of that, and Coach uh, Coach Bruiser back in the day. So Coach Spiker, I think we we had the opposite end of that, where he was always being positive, even when we were maybe down thirty four points. It's was it's kind of interesting to see him fired up. Have you guys noticed that at all? Or I think he's definitely been more fired up on the sidelines. I mean, we saw him spike the water back at LaSalle, but uh, he has been a little more fire in the sidelines. I think he even mentioned that in, I think, one of his press conferences, like that he was having to go crazy a little bit in practices and in the games, um, trying to get people moving on the defensive end specifically. So it, it is good to see a little fire there. Yeah, I noticed that. Another thing I did notice, I think it was in the JMU game, he pulled somebody specifically for not getting a rebound. It was like Alahan or um, Butler. I think it was Alahan. And he normally never does. That's like a bruiser thing to do. Uh, Spiker usually lets you kind of play through mistakes. And he has just the rotation based on minutes and time and situation. But I'm pretty sure he pulled. And, you know, I, I'm i kind of like middle. I, like, I think a little bit of this is okay. I thought bruiser took it to the extreme. Like you got to let people make some mistakes on offense. You know, you can't just like one mistake and just pulling guys. But – at the same time, you can't, especially something that's black and white as you either boxed your guy out or you didn't, 
or you went for the 50-50 ball or you didn't. Like, I think there are times where it's okay, especially early in the game, to pull a star player or a starter because of a lack of hustle on a fundamental blocking and tackling type of play. And I think he did do that. And that, in addition to kind of a little bit more animation, that's what defense is about. Like, defense is about doing your job and playing with 100% intensity all the time. And offense is more free-flowing. It's more of an art form. There's more, you know, finesse involved and all that stuff. But defense is a lot of just X's and O's stuff that you just got to do your job. And, and I like to see, you know, sometimes a little bit of a tough love. A little bit is okay. You know, you don't want to go overboard again. But a little bit of tough love is okay, on especially on the defensive side. I think the the main thing I've had a problem with is waiting a possession or two before calling a timeout, not even yanking a guy, just when the entire team is letting a squad like JMU get an early lead on you, you got to nip that in the bud earlier. And we're able to beat a team like James Madison or Towson when that happens because those are not good teams. But against against a Layman Mary, that's, that's a talented team, despite what their record is and where they are in the standings. That's That's a team that has guys who can beat us uh, like that night kid. So call that timeout earlier. Save save two possessions of what's not working where they might get up to six points over that stretch and, and be able to salvage a win. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I think uh, I don't understand our, our our lack of use of timeouts, particularly in the first half when, you know, you don't, you don't need to say you're going to get three new ones at halftime. Uh you know, if they come out on a fifteen nothing run in three minutes, call the timeout. Call it call it for that. Call it after it's a nine nothing run. And just you know, it is this thing is momentum, all this stuff is like um you know, and you wanna maybe you wanna see guys play through it a little, but um that's what the timeouts are for. You know, stop stop momentum, start over, draw up a play, change a scheme. Uh we I agree with you. Like we could have we could have used it a little bit earlier against JMU, and we could have used it against William Mary. Yeah, and I, I really don't know what the answer is to these slow starts. The, the for those of us that played in the game beforehand, the alumni pickup game, coach came out and gave us a pep talk, and I was fired up to play just a pickup game from a result of that. And for freaking homecoming for guys to come out flat against a JMU squad who was seemingly hitting everything. There was a lid on the basket for us in front of the best crowd of the year. It's just, it's, I, I don't know how you correct things like that. On the, on the bright side, we did come back and win. So I hope that crowd remains because that was a great crowd. I, I, I'm glad you brought that up and I'm not in the best context, but I, between the DAC back and I guess homecoming being in, homecoming and everybody brings their friends to homecoming. That was probably one of the best crowds I've seen, if not the best crowd so far this year, and maybe even last year. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And it was it was a little discouraging, the fact that Troy had to be, like, egging the crowd to stand up at the end when we were, like, taking that lead back and the game was still in the balance. And there were people who just want to sit on their asses and not get into the game. Like, the that can be an intimidating place to play. And I just don't understand people who go to a sporting event and don't want to cheer and help their team win. 
I just don't get it. Yeah, and I think that you know some of these guys are probably coming to their first basketball game uh, at Drexel. They know and probably they're more to support their friends. So I, I understand why they weren't there, but I, th- I thought of their DAC back. I saw a couple of their guys go around and try to get them to stand, and some of them were standing by the end of it. So it was, I think, still a refreshing change of things from uh, you know for in the Spiker era where we haven't had as much of a you know crowd factor in games overall. Oh. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think these things, you always want them to be faster than they, these change to be quicker than, in your mind, it goes quicker. But I, I think we are making progress um, year over year over year here. Uh, you know, maybe be up a little, little bit up, two steps forward, one step back type progress. But uh, the deck pack was great. You know, I, I was watching some of these other CAA games on the CAA TV app when I got home. Hofstra is 7-0 and and 17-3. and And I thought their gym looked empty. They're playing at home. And you could, yeah. They don't even have a fan base. Like, how is that possible? Imagine, like, we were seven and zero in conference, seven seventeen and three overall. We'd be, I, I, I think that we would have that place rocking. Oh uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of blows my mind. I mean, some of the other gyms they get more fans than us, but they're like the Sunday afternoon type fan, like the the Delaware and the William and Mary crowds, where they're just kind of sitting there. And the UNC Wilmington, which is like the only show in town. I don't think people have anywhere else to be there in Wilmington. They're not like the kind of, like, we bring a lot of intensity. Even in smaller numbers, we bring a lot Mm -hmm. more intensity, uh, which I think makes the DAC a difficult place to play. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I I remember back to Eric Maynard being eight feet away from his coach yelling that he couldn't hear him because the DAC was so loud. So I'm not saying that we need to be that for the homecoming game throughout, I'm just shocked that when you see a player standing at midcourt, putting his arms up, like motioning for people to stand, and they still just sit their arms folded. That's what's shocking to me. Well, they're too busy looking at their Instagram feed to see how many likes they got in the pictures. These kids these days, I tell you. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we keep going in this direction. It'll get better and better. Uh, I agree with you. Um, You know, I think... uh, (laughs) If we just stay going in this way, it'll it'll come. Yeah. So I think we you mentioned the importance of the next four games. It's a, a three, at least starting off the three road games over there, and our record so far in the road not being great. From uh, from a player personnel though, assuming Kirk comes back during this four game stretch and Tim Perry returns as well, and we have uh, a, a more or less better squad than we've had the last four game stretch who which is uh, i think if, if we could go through an experiment where or just kind of a idea on who you guys think would need to improve the most or maybe change the most in the next four game stretch for us to have a better than you know 500 record maybe going forward again. i don't think i don't think it's one guy i think when if you try and pin winning on one guy you're going to end up being disappointed but if everybody can just up their game like 15 percent then you have a chance. If if Trevor starts hitting the threes that he was hitting earlier in the year, because he's been down a little bit the last couple games, he still hits them, but not at the same clip. If he's hitting two more threes a game, if uh, if Cam has the types of games that we were calling for, and, and Cam just named third uh, third week this year, uh, CAA Player of the Week, uh, Rookie of the Week. So if he's able to uh, keep his game up and doesn't need to be a superstar, but is scoring a little more uh, just across the board. If everyone does those little things and we keep those slow starts from happening, then this team can go three and zero over these next three. There's no reason for this team not to 
come back three and zero outside of effort. Yeah, I think um, they need to just like I said earlier, stay stay playing better defense like we have been the last two games. Stop the scoring droughts and we'll be all right. I mean, individual player wise, like Marshall did mention, I'd like to see Cam be a little bit more aggressive and pick his spots a little bit more that than he has been. Uh, last game he he did a little bit more and he ended up with 15 points. So. Um, I think when he's aggressive, good things happen for the team, not only with him scoring, but him uh, creating buckets for other people. Uh, and then it was nice to see Doles contribute something. And I think if we're going to be shorthanded, it would be nice to continue to get something out of him. Uh, we don't need 16, but he gave like, I think he got five points last game and made a couple defensive plays. And uh, as long as he's in the positive column, I think that's a, a good thing as a whole. But um, so I think those would be some keys to coming back from this swing yeah, the emergence of doles is huge if he can keep playing and i was telling bill like I, I he had 16 points and it was great i really liked him on defense the most um both the last two games i thought he played extremely well on defense um and he does he has a couple attributes that that are unique um that we could take advantage of uh you know he's playing with some energy and some passion and he's crashing the offensive boards i also really liked that um, you know, the threes will come and go, but those other things, he can bring that kind of energy every single night. And that it makes us like incrementally better when he's in the game. I think he plays so much better when it comes to defense, uh, Dole's and, and the zone coverage for sure. And our zone help, and, he, and I hope we come out at least, our zone help is so much better, uh, you know, other than our going to be playing man D. And I hope we only see that zone look going forward, but we'll see, I guess. I guess. I guess my question more on the player personnel was, uh, like Harper, I think is doing an incredible job, right? Like I, I think there's there was a Townsend game where there was a little bit, people, you know, it was a little worrisome at times, but for the most most part, I think Harper um, has been playing uh, where his heart and brain are in the same place, and he's putting up pretty much. He's a leading scorer for them right now, so I, I don't, I'm not expecting too much more of Harper, Demir. I think I, I expect more out of him. And I think we've mentioned this before. Uh, if he's not injured, you know, I think he's – I want to see more games like that Townsend game out of Demir. And Kirk Lee, when he's in, is playing well, so I'm not expecting too much more. So I think between Demir and probably – if I had to pick another player, I'd say uh, Cam. I bet I, I'm already expecting too much out of Cam with Kirk if Kirk's out because, uh, you know, he's a rookie point guard over here. But I think Demir is the player probably. If I, I wish he would just take that next step. And if he did – uh, he's already so good. He already has a lot of the moves. He can bring the ball up. He, 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 there's so many things going for him that I think if he could just improve his game a little bit, we, we, we could really challenge some of these you know top two, top three teams in the CAA over here. He just needs to be more consistent and yeah. keep heading the game all the time, I think. I mean, he's been playing pretty decently, but then he has like a lapse or he'll be missing a layup or um, just throwing away a stupid pass. But yeah, when he's rebounding and working in the post and hitting a couple threes here and there, I mean, he's a very effective player for us. Yeah, that is bringing your game up a level, though. It is consistency. Like you can, okay, you have, you have one good game, but can you do it? Can, can you do it the next time, or was that a fluke? No, no, challenge Doles to the same thing. Uh, you know, that's that's the definition of bringing your game up a little bit. Is we don't need him to learn any new moves. He doesn't need to do anything else. He just needs to not have a of no unforced turnover at all um make the chippies all the time you know those types of things get the rebound that's coming to you all the time and um not just parts of the game 
Um, and, you know, he's had some games where he was there the whole game and played well like Townsend. But um, that that's raising your game up the level to bring that consistency. And we've had Trevor John hasn't had a good game in like since Charleston and we got three wins. Uh, he's due for a big game. So, you know, and I think could be any one of these three road games. It'd be nice to get those dark. I hope he goes off in Delaware. That would be awesome. Hopefully missing his first ever collegiate free throw kicks his ass into shape. <laughs> Agreed. Anything else you guys wanted to cover today, guys? Uh, I have one question for Marshall. Mm. So uh, we were talking a little bit about this in the blue and gold room. Now, Hofstra right now is 17-3 and 7-0 and in conference, and they currently have the longest D1 win streak going. Um, I think it's at 13 games now. So they have eight more games. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. No, excuse me, nine more games, and then they come to the DAC February 28th. Say they go 9-0, and and they are 16-0 in conference, and... 26 and three overall with the nation's longest winning streak in quite some time. They come to the DAC and we win on a buzzer beater. Is that court storm worthy? No, no, (laughs) no court storming against C opponents, unless it's for a champ. So then we'll never storm at the DAC ever. Uh, Let me rephrase. We were to end a season ourselves undefeated. Then you're storming for a team accomplishment over the course of the entire. I hate, hate, hate the concept of storming the court because you beat a peer. Everyone in the CAA is by definition of being in our conference a peer. I also consider the other Philly teams, everyone from Nova de La Salle, and that runs the gamut of really good to pretty bad. I wouldn't want to storm against them for because then they have, oh, well, they think that we're so much better than them because they stormed against us. No, get all of that out of here. Storm against I don't know. People. I think if you storm when you have a year-long game. accomplishment, but don't storm against an individual opponent <laughs> just because. So I, I understand your argument, but um, you know, just about five minutes ago, you were talking about people sitting when you want them to stand, and now we're saying, well, well, well don't not too much energy. Don't storm. Just <laughs> <laughs> that's completely. <laughs> 100% different. I think what Nick's saying is we should storm the court after every win. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying we should on this <laughs> circumstance either, but I'm saying it's a debate, I think, at least. Um, All right. Next year at senior night, when we're finishing at that point a uh, 28-0 season, then we can storm the floor at the DAC, <laughs> which for us requires taking three steps onto the court. I'm just, you know, I'm I'm 37 going to be 37 this year i've never stormed a court and i'm, wait, I'm you tried you've attempted before it's not for not attempting i'm way you know and i know i want to i know we want everyone to make make sure drexel looks cool and you know we keep our head high like we're peers we're peers you know Hofstra, you know fuck you know whatever you know you know Villanova, yeah whatever but at this rate i don't know if i'm going to get the storm to court before i have a walker so i'm just looking i'll wheel for, you in yeah We'll definitely will you and make it. It'll be fun. I've already stormed the court twice for Drexel in my time, and I'm younger than you. So pay attention to the other basketball team. Just saying. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a no comment on that. But um <laughs> you know, if we ever had a C it, you know, we don't even have a CEA tournament at the deck. We never will, so that's out the window. Um I don't know. Then we'll storm in DC when they win. We've already given up on this year. Come on, Marshall. Jeez. Well, I'm saying if we storm 
there. I'm not expecting a lot of people there. That's the other thing is you want to have numbers for a court storm. So, if we have if we have three people in Charleston and we win that, I'm storming. <laughs> no, I, I agree. But that's going to be more just we happen to run onto the court. I don't think you can define it as a court storm with three people. Marshall, if I run on the court, I'm calling it a court storm. Nick's still calling it a court storm when he ran on, on St. Joe's himself. I, I thought he got stopped by the pen ticket lady on that day. Well, he did, but he, he was at least <laughs> an attempted stormy. Oh, man. You need at least more fans on the court than players on the team to warrant being called a court storm, in know. my opinion. Uh, uh, yeah, I think it's a, it's a worthwhile debate that I think we'll have, we'll have some time to do. And <laughs> we have some time to debate this topic. Before we end up storming, fortunately, so we have plenty of time to debate it. No situation this year warrants a court storm against Kostra. I don't think it has been I don't think there's been a situation the entire time I followed Drexel to storm based on this criteria. Not one game ever. I guess if we would have beaten if VCU we, in 2012, but uh, in the in Richmond, if we against UMass in the NIT quarterfinals to get to Madison Square Garden for the NIT semis. That would have, I think, been storm-worthy. Which we should have won. <laughs> so has, yes. has there been any game that we've won that we should have stormed that you can recall that we did not storm? Um, no. I, I don't <laughs> – court storming should be special. It should be saved for actual, like, memorable, impactful. There's this just desire to run into a court so you can add it to your Snapchat and Instagram stories. Oh, look, I stormed the court. Get me 84 more likes for my Instagram post. No, save it for something <laughs> memorable. I, I get it. It's But I feel like we, we, we don't have that luxury. <laughs> then I, we don't have that luxury. I'm sorry. <laughs> but it's just not. No, it, it keeps it. I definitely am not as anti-court storming as Marshall. But I well, think what do I, you guys I, say on my scenario? Scenario I, I gave. It, in, in the scenario you, you gave against Hofstra, I'm, I'm taking those three steps. <laughs> I'm talking about it's a buzzer-beating win. Buzzer beat. It's not just a win. It's a buzzer-beating win. I, I think if, if there's implications that we could take, like, first place in the conference by beating them, um, take that top seed, you know, then, then maybe it would be warning the core story. But if we're like – They are undefeated. They are undefeated coming in. It's nah, a big it upset. No. It doesn't matter. Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> If it, if it had implications for us, I would say yes. Like it's something Nick, that... will you take these three steps? I'm going with you, brother. <laughs> I'll go. I'm going to tell security. <laughs> I'm going to tell security at the next home game <laughs> to watch you guys for every single game the rest of the time that we go to Drexel games. And I feel like they already someone watch right us. next to I, you. I feel like the, every time there's a win out there, they're already looking at us like we're going to storm. I don't know why. I guess because we're allowed during the games, they expect us to do something at the end. We're, you know, we're too cool. Too cool to storm. <laughs> too cool to too storm. Too cool. <laughs> Perfect. I thought the, the bigger question was going to be what will Hofstra's at-large chances be in that scenario? And, and the answer for me is obvious. But if Hofstra was undefeated coming into our home game against them on the 28th, uh, there's talk of an at-large chance. Do we want to beat them? Of course I'd want to beat them at home. That's not even a question. Um but I think it is interesting. I, I think they are clearly the class of the CAA right now. Charleston, after I wrote that article on Always a Dragon about at-large chances on the men's and women's side, Charleston has just completely crapped the bed uh, and dropped from the 50s to the 
100s in terms of net ranking. So Hofstra is really the only chance, and they've moved up from 70 to the low 50s now, what, eight games into CAA play. So it'll be interesting to see if they do go undefeated the rest of the way but don't win the championship, what would happen to them? Yeah, I posed that question to, I think, Nick and Bill at work on Friday. And I think you guys was it, you guys were thinking that they would, if I remember correctly. If, I mean, if they go undefeated in the conference and they win, I don't even know what their win streak would be at that point. It would be like a 22-23 game win streak or something. I, I mean, they should. Whether they would or not, I don't know. But it would be messed up if they didn't, if they <laughs> – if they went through to the final, to the uh, the finals, and lost in the finals, then uh, I could see them not being. But I would be upset about it. Yeah, they, they would I deserve would. it. They would deserve. It. I mean, they have three losses, and all three were on the road to good teams. The worst Maryland is ranked, lost to them by ten. Lost to VCU by two, and lost to Marshall by four. All on the road. Marshall's probably their worst loss at Marshall, second game of the season, and every other game's a win. I mean. Yeah, that- I would put them in something like twenty nine and four or something, right? Like, I don't know how they would not make it if they won. They they went out. I don't. I don't think it's possible that they don't. make I it. I could absolutely see a selection committee saying, "Well, you didn't beat anybody." Yeah, finding a yeah, way to put I, in I, a I agree. eight and ten ACC team that had one good win all year. They're really good too. I mean, they're more than. I mean, just the right foreman is a beast, but they have oh, got yeah. they've got supporting cast too. Pemberton is good. What's his name? Uh, Pem- yeah, Pemberton. Bowie is good. They got another big guy down low. It's not a stiff. They, they, they're, good, they're, good, they're a good team. Well, on they the bright side, get- I think he just jinxed them, so we should be good now. The, uh, they've got talent that if they get in, they if they get favorable, not even needing like cupcake favorable matchups. Like if they just get someone aside from Duke or Virginia – in the first round, they could make some noise in the NCAA tournament too, with with a guy like Justin Wright Foreman leading the way. I agree. We beat him on a buzzer beater. I'm storming. Me and Leon. <laughs> Thanks, Nick. We'll hold hands as we frolic. It'll be nice. Me and Bill will right. keep it down on the sidelines. You got you guys put your cool shades. Yeah, on. put your cool shades and your cool leather jackets, and look at these idiots <laughs> as we frolic around. I'm giving Troy Harper because said that, I will specifically wear my leather jacket to that game <laughs> and sunglasses. Perfect. Zip it up, zip it out, storm it out. <laughs> <laughs>